Well, good morning. Hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and pick up in the book of Acts, right where we left off uh, last time in chapter four. And so, again, as I know, I know I'm kind of sounding redundant here, repeating myself, but this is such a rich book for us in our day. As we look at how the Holy Spirit worked in and through the believers then in the first century, it becomes such a uh, not only a model, but an inspiration for us to seek his activity in and through our lives today, uh, certainly in these days leading up to the return of Christ. It's such a, a good thing for us to be recognizing our need for him and to therefore then uh, invite him into our lives to, to work uh, as, as he would, you know, that he would ultimately bring glory to Jesus and even people into the kingdom. And so um, that being said, last time uh, we were in Acts uh, in, in the first part of chapter 4, we uh, saw Peter and John. Uh, they had done this wonderful miracle of helping a crippled man to be able to to walk, and the people recognized it. and And so they began to preach about Christ and the resurrection, and how, uh, uh, and once again, bringing conviction about uh, their involvement in the death of Christ, uh, the people's involvement, and the leaders' involvement. Well, eventually, the Sadducees and the elders of Israel now gathered, uh, well, arrested them, brought them before them. Uh, and and threatened them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And uh, and and Peter and John simply respond. Look, you decide whether it's right to obey God or men. But we cannot help but to speak about that which we have seen and heard. And so they threaten them further, and they send them on their way. But they can't really do much else to them, uh, because the people recognize that a legitimate miracle has been done, and even they acknowledge this has taken place. And so they're in a bit of a rough spot there, the leaders of Israel are, as they're trying to sort out what to do about this growing movement following Jesus, the one whom they crucified. And so after they release them, we pick it up in verse 23 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts, when it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and why the people plot, people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, this is, this is rich for a number of reasons. Uh, let me start with something that we've talked about before, and, and, and in some ways is probably somewhat obvious. But um, the Holy Spirit is not to be feared by believers. Uh, certainly, we should uh, recognize the work of the Holy Spirit is not, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I hate to have to critique and criticize, really, but it's necessary sometimes to point out. Uh, in this case, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there is such a misunderstanding of him because of the misapplication of what the Holy Spirit does by so many purported faith teachers, quote-unquote, or, um, you know, many who today have burgeoning, quote-unquote, ministries where the Holy Spirit is telling them all kinds of crazy things and making them do crazy things and things like this. 
Uh, that is such a disservice to the Holy Spirit and such a disservice to the people of God because we should be embracing the third person of the Trinity. We should be embracing the one that Jesus promised would come and not only be with us but be in us and would guide us into all truth and would give us the words to say when we find ourselves in places where a testimony is required, uh, who would um, sanctify us and continue to make us more like Jesus, setting us further and further apart from the world and toward the kingdom of God. But when we misrepresent him, when he becomes this sort of X factor of the Trinity, this wild card who is so unpredictable and who knows what he can do and, and, and all this, and who knows what he'll do in our lives and just, you know, we get freaked out. That is so not who the Holy Spirit is or what he's about. It's not what he was sent to us for. It's not his intention and purposes. He doesn't draw attention to himself, but rather he diverts attention to Jesus and so when we see the Holy Spirit working like this, and they're filled with Holy, the Holy Spirit, uh, they are asking him to give them boldness in that. In other words, help us to further do those things that would bring glory to Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, just to start out with, and it's never a bad place to start by talking about the Holy Spirit, as long as we do so in a biblical way. Um, and so coming back to the beginning of the passage, they're released and they went to their friends and they reported everything that happened all that had happened to them. And they begin to lift their voices in prayer. And, you know, rather than complain about what happened and, and say, well, this shouldn't happen, we're believers, and that was so foreign to their thinking. It was because they were believers that they expected these things to happen. This was, I mean, it was new. They were, they were, they were now proclaiming boldly the name of Christ, and they were starting to face the pushback that was going to come. But this would become par for the course. This would become the way it is. Uh, Paul would say to Timothy that, uh, uh, oh gosh, I always, and I know I do this every time, I get it confused, if it's chapter 3, verse 12, or verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, but he talks about how all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's borne out throughout the book of Acts. But their response to it is something that might surprise us a little bit. You know, James talks about how we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, because these things ultimately work out patience and maturity. And this is a goal that God has for us, and he uses trials to do that. He strengthens us. He fortifies us. He equips us and builds us through these things. There's an evidence of that right here. Here they are, arrested and threatened and all of this, and this is going to continue throughout their ministry. But when they come back, they're not, the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us they were complaining about it. Uh, not that they're relishing it per se. I mean, it's, it's, but they are rejoicing in an element of it. The idea, and we'll see this later, uh, where they rejoice that they're able to suffer for Christ's namesake. They are so committed to him. But here they bring back the news to their friends of all that's happened, and they immediately go to prayer. They call out to God, who they declare right off the top is sovereign. And the word sovereignty shouldn't scare us either, because it means that God is in control. And they're acknowledging him and saying, Lord, this is something that is 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 totally in the auspices of what you're doing uh, and, and as a matter of fact, as they go on to explain in, or speak of in their prayer, uh, he says, they say how this was, you know, spoken of by the prophet or by, da by David from his own mouth. And he's refer they're referring to Psalm 2, where it talks about the nations raging against the Lord and his anointed and such. Well, here they're participating in, in receiving some of the ire of the enemies of Christ. And they are recognizing that this is part of what 
is going to happen. They acknowledge this. They recognize that in spite of what they see, God is sovereign. This is not something that is outside the purposes and plans. As a matter of fact, in verse 28, he says, this is something that you've predestined, Lord. This is something that is part of your plan that you will ultimately bring to fruition. And he says, you know, all of those that have come against him, you know, Herod and Pilate and and the Gentiles and the people of Israel even, in other words, all are guilty in this. But yet, nonetheless, this is how your plan ultimately was intended to unfold. And, he's, and, and they go on with confidence and they say, look upon these threats and not stop the threats, not make them go away, which I'm not saying that's a wrong prayer, but it's just interesting to me that they don't have anything, any thinking like that at all in the way they approach this. Notice again what they say. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Lord, protect us and spare us. That's a legit prayer. But they're asking to just have more strength to go into the fire. You know, they call out to God and they acknowledge his awesomeness. They acknowledge his sovereignty. And they also acknowledge that sometimes it is his will for people to go through difficulties in order to bring the gospel to the world. Or at least it is completely understandable and to to be expected that this would come with the territory. Um, uh, sometimes, I, and in retrospect, when I say this, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm being a little too cavalier about it because I don't mean to put off this air that, you know, I stand before magistrates with my stoic chin forward, n- none of this. Uh, I don't. You know, I'm just like anyone else. And, and there are times when things are hard that I'm asking God to lift them. But when I read these passages, I can't help but be inspired and be reminded. And this is where, again, when I sometimes I'll say this and, and I, I, I always hope it doesn't come off the wrong way. But there is something to be said for recognizing that when we came to Christ, this is what we signed up for. This is part and parcel with following Jesus. Again, Paul said, all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Not just tribulation. That comes upon the whole world all the time. You know, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, Jesus would say. But tribulation is something that everybody experiences. But believers face persecution because they're standing in the face of a world system led by the God of this world, the spirit of the age. And that's going to cause, you know, the subjects of that kingdom to rebel against, to to repel at, to respond to unkindly in that. And we're going to face persecution. Now, some of you who may be watching this in various parts of the world know better than I do what that means and what that can mean and what you live under the threat of is a regular daily reality. Uh, And in the West... Granted, we don't generally experience persecution for our faith. I mean, we might get made fun of or somebody might, you know, uh, uh, you know, again, make fun of us. We might not get a promotion or, you know, the girl you like won't go out with you because you're a Jesus freak or something like that. You know, those kinds of things can happen. Um, but we don't face a lot of like what they faced, you know, where they're literally standing before leaders and... Uh, Later on, they'll be beaten for their faith and such. Paul would be arrested by Rome and and beaten and that kind of a thing. Um, We don't, in the West, typically experience that. Some do around the world, and it it helps us to remember that sometimes, that the reality for for many Christians around the world is very much like what they experienced in that first century uh, and and through many centuries since. And so when they pray with asking God for boldness, Like, we don't want to back down. We want to keep pressing forward. Uh, That just means they really took seriously the command that Jesus gave to go out into all the world and make disciples. 
Um, you know, the expectation was not that they would come to the disciples, but that the disciples of Jesus would go forth and make disciples of the nations, to go and, 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 and pour into people that they might come to know Christ and grow in him. Well, that was going to face opposition, as we're already beginning to see here in this, uh, in this chapter. And so they go on again. They ask uh, that they would, uh, he would they'd be granted to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand, speaking to the Lord, to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so, Lord, give us boldness and continue to work in ways that cause people to recognize that your power is present, not only to bring physical change and healing in that, but to bring salvation. That, Lord, you would validate the message that we're sharing through these signs and wonders that take place. As we've spoken of before, that was the purpose of the miracles, is that, uh, that ultimately it would give entrance to the gospel, that it would uh, give uh, point attention to the Lord. Not that it would ever bring attention to the performer of the miracle, but rather to the one who gave the power to perform that miracle. And so they're praying, God, equip us, fill us, send us, uh, give us, uh, you know, give us success in our ministry to bring people to you in that. Give us all that we need, including the boldness and bravery to do so. It's wonderful to see that. It is so refreshing to see the single-mindedness, the single-focused nature of these first century believers. In the face of persecution, they want to just keep pushing forward and see God work. Uh, God grant us that same boldness that they asked for as well. In verse 31, it continues, and we finish our what we're going to look at today in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In other words, God immediately answered their prayer. And in dramatic fashion, as they're praying, uh, the place that they were gathered together began to shake as the Lord just uh, just answered their prayer, filled them to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and granted them the boldness that they would continue to walk in. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, what do you say to that, right? It's just to be in that place and to be so driven to to serve the Lord and to be bold and everything. Just and and for God to so. Uh, physically answer that prayer, right? I mean, it was just a, a wonderful moment. It had to be of just great encouragement as they knew God had answered their prayer. And so we will go ahead and talk about what the body continued to look like uh, together as they, as they um, you know, remember, by the way, they're, they're in Jerusalem here and they have not gone out from there yet. That'll begin to happen when that first major persecution happens under, uh, during the time when Saul comes in the picture, Paul. And, uh, um, but, uh, in, in the next little bit, we begin to see how uh, chapter end of chapter four, chapter five, into chapter six, we begin to see um, how the church began to sort of deal with some of the just daily living and how they began to help each other and provide for one another and serve one another and these kinds of things before they ultimately are then spread out from Jerusalem uh, into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, um, anyway, so I'm going to stop there for today. As always, if you have thoughts or questions or, or, or comments or anything, please go ahead and leave them uh, in the comments below, in the section below on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to email me, you can also do that uh, by virtue of going to our website uh, at calvarychapelfranklin.com, or you can go to my personal website at parsonspad.com, and you can email me from there as well. And you can also subscribe to the audio podcast if you'd rather get it that way. By the way, I want to thank you uh, uh, for comments and questions. Uh, whether Sometimes people agree, some disagree, but I thank you for all the comments and, uh, and questions and, and challenges and things like that. 
and uh, and I do try to respond to uh, to them relatively quickly. I know there's a couple I still need to get back to, but I do try to answer uh, as many uh, as I can. Not that we're getting super inundated or anything, but I do work a part time job too, so it's a couple things going on. But I do try. I want you to know that I appreciate it, and, I, and one of the ways I try to demonstrate that is by responding. So, um, but thank you for watching. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for commenting and sharing your thoughts and everything like that. And so. Um, but God bless you. I'm going to pray us out, and then we'll catch up with you again next time. Father, thank you for uh, just giving us this passage of Scripture to look at. And we, like them, would pray for boldness, to speak your word, to speak of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the, uh, the power that he brought to overcome our sin in his death and resurrection. Father, we thank you that the, the beautiful, glorious hope we have is rooted in that reality, that, uh, that just as Jesus died for our sins and took them away completely and rose again from the dead, uh, we know, Lord, that now there is this, this expectation on the part of believers that we'll see you face to face, that one day we'll be in your presence because of what Jesus finished for us. And so we just can't help but just thank you from the depths of our hearts. And in response to that grace, Father, we, again, would just ask that you would make us bold. We pray that, Father, you'd fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and that we would, like them, uh, just bring uh, the word of the resurrection, the word of the, uh, of, of the, of the payment for our sins, the, the reconciliation that you've brought between God and man through the person of Christ. And we just thank you so much uh, for all of this, Father. And we love you and we praise you and ask you to use us in the days ahead leading up to the time when our great God and Savior Jesus comes and appears from heaven and snatches us home. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.